0: Broadcasting from the Wellington Studios in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, this is Out of Place, a podcast collection of short stories where perceptions intersect with reality and the humor behind everyday events are revealed. I'm your host, Frank Schiffman, author of the story that follows, entitled, Not by Design. She was curvy. She turned heads. She was built to win. But could she deliver on the promise of a checkered flag? In 1986, PPG Industries Chemicals Group implemented a division-wide quality process program. Management's goal was to develop a quality-driven culture throughout the division. So committed was PPG Management to accomplishing this goal that all employees attended a six-day off-site training program. For those of us who took part in it, the principles learned and subsequently practiced continue to influence our thinking and the way in which we approach decision-making in our everyday lives. In the story that follows, entitled Not by Design, unintended consequences result when a key quality value is overlooked in a winning plan I devised which proved to be out of place. I married a bit late in life and immediately began to start a family. By age 47, I found myself with a seven-year-old son named Sam. My wife encouraged me to join the local YMCA Indian Guides troop so that Sam could have an outdoor experience and make new friends. Besides, she said, It will give you a chance to meet other dads. And so we joined the Ottawa tribe, where I adopted the name Silver Arrow. Sam became Golden Arrow. Anyone who has ever participated in Indian Guides or a similar father-son tribal group like the Cub Scouts knows about Pinewood Derby car racing. These races are a true embodiment of family camaraderie. They heighten competition among kids from 6 to 8 years old in a way that can only be understood through complete involvement. The experience is often more important to the dads than to the kids. I found that preparing for Pinewood Derby racing paralleled some of the basic tenets behind the quality process that was being practiced throughout corporate America at that time. The first step to participating in a Pinewood Derby involves purchasing the parts you will need to assemble the car itself. For around six bucks, you can get a plastic bag that contains a seven-inch by two and 3 inch bare block of pine wood, four plastic wheels, and two axles. From there, it is up to you to design and craft your car. However, when complete, it may not weigh any more than five ounces. It's every father's dream to win a Pinewood Derby, and by association, their son's dreams as well. Pinewood Derby racing is a real-life example of the story of Pinocchio. As you may recall, Geppetto, Pinocchio's creator, started out with nothing more than a block of wood albeit a bigger block of wood relative to that needed for a Pinewood Derby car. In the end, his masterpiece, Pinocchio, is like no other. So, too, Derby cars are individually crafted. Do a search in Google for a Pinewood Derby, and your computer screen will be flooded with information. Everything from car designs, rules, way to win, decals, and more. Talk to dads that have been through it, and they will have colorful stories to share. Most will talk of their Pinewood experience with outrageous passion. My friend, Brian Newman, whose son was the same age as my, Sam, worked in an office right beside mine at PPG Industries. When we discussed the derby, he showed me ways in which to sand down the plastic wheels to razor-thin edges. It eliminates weight and allows the car to pick up speed, he said. I also discussed the derby with a number of other dads at PPG. It didn't take long to understand that the Pinewood Derby was considered a rite of passage, not only for the kids, but just as much, if not more, for the dads. It was a given that everyone wanted to win. But what I soon discovered was that some dads saw this race as a means towards obtaining bragging rights. Once I was through listening to my peers, I decided it was time to call up the cavalry. I had been in the marketing field for 24 years at that time. When you're a veteran of that many years, you know a lot of talented people, especially graphic designers and trade show display manufacturers. I'm what you would call a semi-handy guy, but the idea of constructing a Pinewood Derby car was not very appealing to me. I simply didn't have the patience to work it out with Sam. So instead, I convinced myself that he would really benefit by being part of a collaborative process one that would involve reaching out to some of my business associates and friends. Applying additional minds and talent to bear on this project would surely bring home a winner, in more ways than just going across the finish line first. Good idea in theory, but in practice, well, let's continue. To kick things off, I contacted my very close friend, Jim Prokel. My kids called him Uncle Jim. I have always referred to Jimmy as my Renaissance Man because he comes about as close to a living Leonardo da Vinci as anyone could find. He's brilliant. Jim can paint, sculpt, illustrate, design, and imagine like no one I know. I saw him as an outstanding choice to help Sam design his Pinewood Derby car. So I asked Jim, and he readily accepted. An appointment was set up for he and Sam to meet. Until that time would come, Sam was given the assignment of picking out some car designs from magazines and other sources to show his Uncle Jim for guidance. Sam decided to sidestep the grunt work and went straight to his Matchbox car collection, where he selected two cars that he wanted to see blended together, a Chrysler Plymouth Prowler and a Lamborghini. These were shown to Jim when they met. Jim scooped up the two samples and headed out the door, promising to deliver drawings within a week. True to his word, one week later, Jim arrived at our door for a second client meeting with Sam. This time, he was armed with onion skins on which he had designed a car to scale. As he unrolled his onion skins, Sam's ideas came to life. Jim's sketches were magnificent. Not only had he designed a dream car, complete with scooped-out back wheels, but the blend of the two cars that Sam had picked were masterfully intertwined. Sam gleefully approved the base plans. The detailed drawings themselves were beyond his comprehension. Phase one was now complete. The next morning, I called Bob Beekle, an acquaintance of mine who owns a trade show company by the name of Carpenter Connection. Bob, I said, I need a favor. My son, Sam, has to have a Pinewood Derby car ready in a little over two weeks. And I would like to ask for your assistance. I have a complete set of drawings that I can bring in for you to follow. Sure. No problem. When can you bring in the plans? I'll have the drawings over tomorrow along with the Pinewood car kit so you can study them. But I want to have Sam be a part of the process. So when your guys are ready, I'm going to bring them in with me for a meeting with you. Then he'll go out into the shop and supervise the car being cut out from the wood. Without hesitation, Bob said, I'm happy to help. Bob called three days later and said, My guys and I have gone over the drawings. We're ready and excited to get to work. The car's design is really special. I told him that Sam and I would be over the next day after school. I picked Sam up from Baker Elementary at 3 p.m. and off we went. I couldn't have felt better. I was giving my son an experience that few kids would ever have. When we arrived at Carpenter Connection, Bob ushered the two of us into his office. There he talked with Sam about the car and what a wonderful design he had commissioned. He also told us that the guys in the shop were just as excited as Sam to see it cut from his pine wood block. Then Bob escorted us out onto the shop floor, where we were handed safety goggles. A man was standing beside a lathe ready to go to work. The outline of the car had been transferred onto the blonde wood block from the slot car kit. It was time to make a masterpiece. Having Sam work the lathe was out of the question. However, once the car was cut free, the lathe operator asked Sam to inspect it for defects. Finding none, Sam was given fine sandpaper to rub across the wood to assure the finish was as smooth as it could be. Twenty-five minutes later, we were back in my Honda. Sam, proudly holding his pinewood car. When can we paint it, Dad? First, we have to buy the paint. What color do you want to paint it? Yellow. Yellow lacquer was purchased, and Sam went to work applying the first coat to his car. A few hours later, he applied a second coat. It looked terrific. Once the paint was dry, we applied some decals and set up a ramp in the basement to see how fast the car would go down it. (laughs) He and I were really excited. We'll beat them all hands down, Dad. I just know it. That Sunday, just four days away from the race, was a dry run day. The kids, who would soon compete, took their cars to the appointed track location at an assigned time for a preliminary weigh-in and test run. When our time came, Sam and I walked into the building like two cocks of the walk. We headed straight for the weigh-in station. People all around ooed and awed as the little yellow slot car was pulled from its bag and handed to the official at the sign-in desk. The man lifted it into the air and commented on its good looks. Then he placed the car on the weigh-in scale. It was a bit shy on weight. No big deal. The officials always had a variety of washers, change, thumbtacks, or other oddities on hand that could be applied with double-stick tape for just such circumstances. Three washers were taped onto the underbelly of the little yellow slot car and she was ready to roll within regulation. We walked over to the six-lane track to prepare for our car's maiden run. Young boys were standing there squealing with delight as their cars careened down the slots in front of them. Fathers stood close by with looks of satisfaction. Others were studying the whole situation trying to figure out how they would modify their son's car to transform it into a champion racer from an also ring. For Sam and me, the only question that remained was how insanely fast our car would go on this track. We waited patiently for a lane to open. When one did, Sam proceeded to lower his car onto the slotted track. At first, his little hand moved quickly. Then it appeared to go into slow motion as the car's wheels set down onto the slot. At that very moment, disaster intersected with hubris. Sam turned toward me with a quizzical look on his face and said, Dad, it doesn't fit. I stared in silence as my inner voice shouted at me, What? No way! There must be some kind of a mistake. It's impossible. Of course it fits. Look at it. It's perfect. Sam handed me the car, and I set about to put it on the track myself. No use. Sam was right. It didn't fit. Uncle Jim designed the car to specification, and Beagle's man had cut it precisely to the onion skin blueprints. The only problem was that Jim had designed to his own specifications, not the Wise. He had shortened the axles and inserted them in a way that the wheel span would not allow the car to straddle the slot guide. Furthermore, even if the axles had been left untouched, the car would have bottomed out on the guide. I was mortified. Sweat broke through my brow. What now? The official race was four days away, and I was leaving for New Jersey on a business trip that Tuesday and would be gone for days. I knew Jimmy was away as well and wouldn't be back in time to correct the situation. My concern turned into panic, but I couldn't let Sam see it. It's okay, Sammy. Daddy will figure it out. Yeah, sure. Hadn't Daddy already done enough, I thought. I rushed Sam out of the building and into our car. And we took off for the only place I could think of that would hold a potential solution. Home Depot. I kept telling myself, just stay calm. You're a problem solver. You're going to figure this thing out. As I drove, my mind was racing through potential solutions. I would find a scrap of wood, cut it in two, and attach the pieces to fit the car's underbody. After that, I'd drill holes for the axle rods to slip through them. The wider width of these pieces and the proper axles would allow the car to properly straddle the guidepost. And the added height would lift the profile of the car allowing it to fit the track without scraping its underbody. Weight was my biggest nemesis. Adding wood undoubtedly would increase the car's overall weight, so those pieces of wood needed to be very light. Wandering the aisles at Home Depot with Sam in tow, I eventually found a strip of wood that held potential, but only to serve as a template for what was needed. That wasn't a big concern because at this point, my goal was just to see if my modifications would work. I'd get the weight problem solved after that by buying another Pinewood Derby car kit. It contained the type of wood that was both regulation and light enough. From it, we would cut the pieces to match my prototype. Simultaneous to this activity, I was cycling through the people I knew who could step in to complete the modifications. Then it struck me. Rick Ferguson. Rick was a longtime friend and talented engineer within my business unit at PPG. Surely he'd pull my fat from the fire. I called him only to learn that he too was leaving town the next day and would be gone all week. That left my brother Carl. Now, Carl is an unusual guy in his own right. An accomplished plaintiff's attorney, he is also a skilled mechanic. Once I reached him, I explained my dilemma and he agreed to help. Having two sons of his own, who were much older than Sammy, Carl had been through this entire ritual and knew full well what was at stake. On Monday morning, I headed over to the hobby store where I bought another Pinewood Derby car kit. Cutting down the block of wood that came with it to match my prototype was the first step. We also needed the kit's two new axles because the guys at Carpenter Connection had cut down the original ones to match with Jim's ill-fated design. These parts were delivered to Carl later that afternoon. We reviewed the plans, and all was in order. Tuesday morning, with a wing and a prayer, I boarded a flight for Newark. Carl cut down the piece of wood, drilled the axle holes, and helped Sam reassemble the car. The car's sleek appearance gave way to a distorted image of its former self. In a strange way, it was much like the scene from the first Toy Story movie, where Woody and Buzz find themselves trapped in the clutches of Sid, the next-door neighbor's son. There they discover that the devious Sid has dismembered dolls, cars, and other toys so he can combine them into monster-like creatures. Upon my return from Jersey, I was relieved to see the modifications complete. The car would now fit the track. I kept telling myself that Sam still stood a chance though in my heart I knew the car was doomed. Sam, on the other hand, had a renewed spirit. He had convinced himself that a true-life-come-from-behind story was about to unfold. His optimism, likely influenced by his favorite movie at that time, Sea Biscuit. The official race fell on a dreary, rain-soaked Thursday evening. Sam, my wife Adina, two-year-old daughter Marlo and Uncle Jim piled into my SUV and drove over to a local wood-fired pizza restaurant by the name of Il Pizzioli. Jim was up to speed on the whole story and the last minute maneuvers that brought us to the soon-to-unfold moment of truth. I placed our derby car in the middle of the table. We ate pizza and celebrated the triumph of getting the car ready. Jim and I drank two glasses of red wine each to ease the tension that was rising within us. As I watched Marlo mash pizza all over her face, I couldn't help but wonder if I would soon have egg all over mine. Plates cleaned and the bill paid. It was time to put the little yellow car to the test. We entered the same building where the trial runs had taken place just four days before. It was daylight then. At night, the sodium vapor lights cast a yellow hue that bounced off the wooden walls and floor, giving it a warm and rustic feel. During the trial races, there were only dads and sons. Now the interior was packed with families. Young boys with car in hand stood by their fathers and anxiously awaited their turn to see if the fruits of their labors—designing, cutting, carving, sanding, painting, and decorating their cars—would bear first-place fruit. Others were engaged in heats that were taking place at three different tracks in the corners of the room. There, dads and kids alike were screaming and cheering as the races took place, while moms with babies in hand and toddlers close by struggled to keep control of their situation. Sam, Jim, and I walked over to the official weigh-in station. No one commented on our car's design this time. It passed inspection, and Sam was given a time for his first heat. I won't bore you with all the details of what occurred next, other than to say that the little yellow car came in last in all three of its heats. And not just last. Dead, dead last. The look on Sam's face was pathetic. He tried everything to increase the car's speed, including holding it up for a pep talk between races. Come on, you can do it! And screaming at it on the track. Get moving! Adina, with Marlo in her arms... Jim and I stood beside Sammy, taking it all in. At the end of the third race, I sheepishly looked over at Adina, searching for a scintilla of empathy to ease my plight. To Adina, I was a secondary concern at best. I could only assume that her motherly instincts were riveted on Sam and the messaging she would use to console him. For me, she had one sentence. Frank, what have you done to my child? Jim was in stitches, and I felt like a total schmuck. It was my job to make this all work. I had the perfect plan, or so I thought. Now it was blowing up in my face. To top it all off, I painfully had to watch this nightmare repeat itself through three races. When it was all over, Sammy, with tears streaming down his face, took the car outside and threw it in a large trash barrel. I pulled our little yellow car from its grave of paper plates, pop cans, and styrofoam cups and put it in the trunk of my SUV. We then all got in and headed home. No one spoke. Even little Marlowe knew not to make a peep. The more I thought about what had taken place, both before and after the losses, the more I appreciated the quality lessons that had played out. Just because it was a kid's pinewood car, you might think, what the heck does this have to do with the quality process? How about everything? In fact, I made sure that the lessons learned did not simply fade away. Instead, a week later, I walked into Sammy's room and asked him to sit down so we could have a talk. I was holding the little yellow derby car in my hand. I started off by saying to him, do you know why I pulled this from the trash? Nope. I pulled it from the trash because I want you to keep it. But I don't want it. I just want to forget all about it. That would be the wrong thing to do because this car represents a lot of valuable lessons, lessons I'm going to share with you right now. Then I want you to hang on to this little yellow derby car for as long as you can. Every time you look at it, I want it to be a reminder of what it means to do the job right the first time, win or lose. That way, you can walk away from just about any experience feeling like you did all you could to make it work to your advantage. I handed the car over to Sammy, then I proceeded to carefully explain to him some of the basics behind the quality process, intermixed with some good old-fashioned common sense. Know why we lost, I asked? Yes. Why? Because the car is junk. I took the car back from him and twisted it around as I spoke. You know, it's not this little car's fault. Heck, it's just a piece of wood. The reason we didn't win or even really compete is because we didn't follow the directions. More importantly, we didn't apply a quality approach to this project. And that's what I want to talk to you about. We could simply forget this experience and put it to the back of our minds as a bad memory. Most people likely would. That would be a terrible mistake, Sammy. People grow from making mistakes as long as they recognize them and make adjustments to avoid repeating them. We could spend time going over what we did wrong. We'll certainly do some of that. But in the end, it all boils down to following the quality process. Now, anyone who has practiced the quality process knows that it's a complex discipline. For a seven-year-old, a simple route was self-evident. We began by talking through the idea of doing things the right way the first time. In our case, it clearly pointed to the fact that we— Well, I, in fact, hadn't taken the time to fully read the instructions. Sure, I knew how much the car needed to weigh and the fact that you couldn't go outside of the basic rules. Things like parts that came with the derby car, aside from decals and paint, were all that were to be used. However, by not taking the time to clearly understand the basic requirements, I wasn't able to transmit them to Jim. Jim, in turn, violated another quality rule, meet expectations. Meeting expectations means just that, nothing extra. I hadn't provided the rules for the car's construction, and he hadn't asked. Jim had routed out the wood and made wheel wells so the tires were actually recessed into the car's body. The axles then had to be made shorter. That's why the car didn't fit the track. It was too narrow. Many would argue that I had violated the entire experience of a Pinewood Derby race. After all, it was supposed to be a father-son experience the opportunity to work together and share in the excitement, agony, and glory as a rite of passage. If you want to be a purist, I plead guilty to all charges. In a different way, though, I would argue that not only did we accomplish the goal of a father-son experience, but we actually gained much more. Sam may not have known it outright, but he had learned about planning, delegation, attention to detail, and humility. Perhaps the lesson of humility could have waited a little longer, But these are things for which we cannot always plan. I told Sam that every day at PPG, I encountered experiences on a much larger scale than the one that we had just gone through. I added that it was my intention to make him a better manager of projects and people going forward. Yes, of course, I dumbed it down so he would understand it. I said, someday you'll be sitting in your office in the executive wing of your company and a sales manager will come to see you. In an excited voice, he'll say, Sam. I've figured it out. I know exactly what we need to sell a million more widgets. What makes you so sure, you'll reply? Because I know this business and all the right people who can help us break through and lead us to the head of the pack. At that point, Sam, you'll walk that manager over to a shelf on your wall. In the middle of it, will be sitting this little yellow Pinewood Derby car. You'll pick it up and show it to the manager and say... My dad thought he had all the answers, too. Then you'll proceed to tell the story of the little yellow derby car and send him on his way to gather the facts, fill in the details, and build a plan that fits the track and brings home a winner. Epilogue. The next year, Sam designed a new car. It was red. Uncle Jim painted a Coca-Cola logo on the side of the car. It made it to the finals where the little red car was defeated in a very close race. Oh, the yellow car, you ask? Well, Sam's an adult now, but yes, he still has it. And no matter what assignment, software, or new electronic gadget, he always thoroughly reads the instructions first before proceeding on with the task at hand. Thank you for listening to this edition of Out of Place, entitled Not by Design. If you liked the story, please give it a five-star review and share it with friends. To enjoy future out-of-place stories, click the follow button. This and other original out-of-place stories like it are available on Spotify, Google, Apple, and Stitcher. Not by Design was written and recorded by me, Frank Schiffman, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The music happiness is courtesy of Ben Sound Recordings. All rights reserved, December 2022.